Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 25 of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. My name is Matt, and I am your host for this episode. But you guys don't come here for me. You come here for the people who pay the bills, and those are my two co-hosts, Trader Tiffany. Hello. And Dan. Ladies. Hello, friends. How's it going? Pretty good, except for that whole Trader thing. Well, explain yourself. Tiff just exclusively listens to everything but us. She purposefully does not download and does not listen. But. I do download, and I listen when I edit. It counts. <laughs> All right, everyone. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, you can always find us on our different social medias, on Twitter, at League Nonsense. You can shoot us an email at podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com, or you can chime in on the BGG Guild number 2077, where we are all participating now. Not just Dan, even though that's the only person that people want to talk to. I always feel like that's true. That's I don't have enough self-esteem to participate. So don't feel bad if I don't respond to you right away. I'm just, I'm worried that people will judge me. Dan always responds and I'm like, well, now there's no real reason for me to respond. He's just too good. Yeah. He said all the ideas or you guys talk about Euro games and it's like, does that game have dice in it? Dice are stupid. So let's go ahead and kick off the show. Uh, we have some cool stuff lined up. We are going to do our top of the stack for July because it's already upon us. That's insane. Uh, we are going to jump into a new segment that's a little bit like our other ones. We're going to do collecting dust, uh, which we'll get into when that segment comes up. And then we have a discussion today. We are going to talk about the hype, hype in board gaming. So that'll be interesting. But before we do any of that, let's chat about what we've been playing. And I literally have no idea what you guys have been up to. So Tiff, you've been playing some games? Well, not this past week, because I kind of made Father's Day into Father's Week. So I had my dad up here, went to baseball games and <laughs> visited the zoo and such. No excuse. But before that, I got to play New York 1901. Ooh. I was lucky enough to get a review copy of that, which is kind of awesome and weird, but uh, it's a family-style game. It's tile placement where you're building buildings and demolishing buildings in New York City, and it feels very ticket to ride -y. I just made that word up. What, what you're doing on a turn is you get to either draw a zone card, which will help you claim zones where you can put your different buildings, and then you can either place dudes on there to show they're yours, or you can build a building on there. Uh, your other option is to demolish lower quality buildings and put higher quality buildings on top of those ones that you've already built. There are three types of buildings. There's bronze, silver, and gold. And you can only build the higher level buildings once you cross a certain threshold on the points tracker. So every time you build a building, it gives you points. And then once you get past a certain amount of points, you can build the more complicated buildings. There are some other things. There are bonus cards that give you points for building along a certain street, or there are just a whole big stack of different ones that change from game to game. So it kind of keeps it interesting that way. Uh, it went over pretty well with my group, which, you know, as a gateway game, I think it's pretty good. And we had a couple of people playing that were newer gamers that, that seemed to pick up on it pretty quickly. It played 
in less than an hour. I think it was 45 minutes even with the teaching. It's so simple to teach. And it's got art by like my favorite board game artist, Vincent Dutrait. I don't know if you say it that way, but that's the way I say it. Vincent. Vincent. I forgot. Yeah. But the last name, how do you pronounce that? Is it Dutrait or Dutray or? It's like Dutrall, right? It's French. It's probably just de. In any case, (laughs) it's a blue orange game and I've been picking up blue orange games and I always get really excited about them. They look cool. They're always produced really well, but there's I'm typically like after I play them, I'm like, all right, I'm only going to get a couple more plays out of this. So where does 1901 stack up in terms of like replay value and kind of the meat of the game? Is it going to last or is it going to be kind of a few and done given that you're a heavier gamer? Yeah, I think with with heavier gamers, you're not going to need to play this over and over again. You can get a pretty good feel for the game after two or three plays, probably. Um, I know that for my board game club, which is teenagers, they're going to dig this because it's a little bit more than the filler games that we've been playing. They've been looking for a little bit more meat, and this is this is a little bit different from Ticket to Ride. It has a spatial element in it that I think they'll like. So it's it's a family weight game. It's it's probably not really intended for heavier gamers, but it's heavier than Pengaloo. <laughs> We're accepting of all games, shapes and sizes here. No, I love that game. So you're gonna do Ticket to Ride before this, though. You think that that would be the good the good step? I think either one of these you could introduce as that next step kind of game, but it's definitely that gateway weight. I enjoyed it, though. It's definitely one that I want to check out. I mean, if you want to send it to me, you can, or I'll just wait until it comes out. I'm Uh, hanging on to this one for the kids. It's for the kids. It's a two for the kids. So that's cool. So that's New York 1901. That's not out yet. Uh, It's coming out at Gen Con, so soon you'll be able to get your hands on it, and it's up for pre-order right now. So... One that I got to play that I'm not going to talk about, and then one that I got to play that I will talk a little bit about. I got to play Forbidden Stars. It was very cool. I'm not going to talk about it here because I get the feeling that I'm not going to get much feedback from my lovely co-hosts here. Not quite your style of game. I don't know what you're talking about. But if anybody wants to chat with me about it, reach out to me. I'd love to talk about Forbidden Stars. It's cool if you like trashy games. But one that I did get to play that you guys may like to chat about is La Granjaha. Yeah, let's talk about that. So I got my first play in. And we've mentioned this before, Tiff. I think you did this on what we've been playing a while back. So this is a farming game with multi-use cards. Uh, It's published by Stronghold. I enjoyed it. Um, I think that it's, it's interesting. It's not terribly hard to figure out. The rules themselves are pretty easy once you know what everything does. Um, and you you kind of spoke to that, Tiff, when you talked about it before. It's the challenge of what to do with your cards. You know, you got these cards in your hand. You've got the actions that you can do with them. Um, there's there's three or four things, different things that you can do with them. How do I combo them? Where do I put them to maximize my points and to kind of make the most efficient engine? You know, it's dry on theme. I don't think it's particularly engaging. You're making goods and you're turning those goods into other goods and making deliveries. So, I mean, it's pretty much a throwaway there, in my opinion. Um, but I think that it's done well and it makes sense. And um, it's got a style that fits the the type of game and the theme of the game. But we started to like decompress and uh, debrief about the game a little bit afterwards. And I don't know where we kind of fell on it. Um, Dan sent me some ideas the next day that he had in a text message of like, you know, I was thinking about Lagrange and and I've got some interesting thoughts about kind of potentially the problems or the challenges of the randomness of the dice and the cards. 
Tiff, has any of that like bothered you in your gameplays of it well, or anything like I, that? Well, I only played it once and it didn't bother me, but I like games with more randomness than I think Dan does for sure. I like the challenge of trying to figure out what to do around the randomness of the game. Some of the thoughts that came up were the idea that there's, uh, what's it, it's 60 some cards, 80 some cards, um, and they're each individual power base. They're, they're all different. And the idea of trying to balance or trying to provide a power that's equal in power level across all contexts for 60 some cards is difficult. And we ran into a situation where it seemed like the player who won, Smee, of course, seemed to get a good combination of cards as opposed to some of the other, the rest of us. And I don't know where I fall in the the debate of it's about how you use the cards that you have efficiently or whether it's getting good cards and how that kind of affects the game. Do I have to rain on this parade? <laughs> That's what you do. That's what I do. This is a game that's the first time i played it really excited about it second time i played it less excited about it third time i played it less excited about it it's just i don't know something about it it's it's a solid game it's i'd put it medium weight no higher than that it's not hard at all the cards amazing as far as the choices i mean the designer himself or there's two designers and i apologies one is michael keller and the other guy goes by ode or something like that. Yeah. It's Andreas Odendahl. But something cool they did, I guess cool, is in the back of the rule book, they actually said what their influence for this game was. And it's basically Carl Chuddock's Glory to Rome for the multi-use cards. Uh, Luna for the market stalls. The uh, different kind of where you place it and removing different things. Um, they also said another Matthias Kramer game and I think Agricola or something like that. Because it has a real strong kind of Agricola vibe with the cards. For me at least as far as how they affect the game. And this is what Matt kind of was alluding to. For me it's just there are 66 unique cards and... Some are very situation specific. Others are a little bit more global as far as your strategy is concerned. Like this one will definitely help me every turn. This card may or may not help me unless this situation arises kind of thing. So for me, that happens in Agricola as well. If you're dealt, if you don't do the draft, for instance, you're dealt a crappy hand, like you just have to play with that, which it has its merits, but at the same time, it's not as fun as it could be for me. Um, So we had talked about you know, could we draft like the initial opening hand of Lagrange? Would that be cool? Another random element that kind of doesn't bother me as much, but it's the dice rolling for the revenue. I mean, we had one turn where I rolled six fives of the nine dice, and it was just like there's no kind of Panamax mulligan. And then he rule. changed the seventh one. To I did because I was like, you know what? Screw y'all! I'm going to change <laughs> seven die <laughs> to a five. Um, Everyone gets money this turn. You know, we just all literally raced up the siesta track. But it was like I was like maybe just a simple mulligan rule there, like if X number come out for one, uh, you could re-roll them or something like that. I don't know something just to kind of mix that up a little bit because that really just screwed up a lot of people's plans i think that's just talking to the the randomness for me i mean but all in all i think the game you don't really work towards anything the goal is to have the most victory points but the first couple turns you're building your engine and then the escalation from there kind of plateaus into just doing the same thing over and over and over again until the end of the game 
It's definitely an optimization game, but for me, it just didn't hold my attention. Overall, I'd give it, right now, I think it's sitting at like a 3, 3.5 for me. That's out of 20, everybody. Yeah, no, that's out of 5. It's just one of those ones that I think two more plays and I'm, it's going on my trade list. It's just, it doesn't capture my imagination. It's a game about farming. Did you expect it to capture your imagination? I'd rather play Agricola. Would you? I would. I think you're off your rocker. I would. I wouldn't compare them. I can see the inspiration, but I they're two different games. I don't think Lagrangia has nearly the frustration factor that Agricola can have. You get blocked out of doing something that you want to do like every single time. I also think it has fewer decisions to make. Lagrangia has very few decisions to make. You can put it on autopilot. The decisions come in the cards, and that's my favorite part of the game. I can see the autopilot thing because there be- there comes a point where you can level out your engine and you can just put it on cruise control, or you look at your opponents and try to compete with them and deal with those situations, or you can look if you can optimize your engine further. And that is not always possible, given the cards that you're given. I could see you putting it on autopilot, but I think that there's more room and more decision-making than you see, Dan, or maybe that you are giving it credit? I think it's going to even get more limited next time I play because I'm going strictly for market barrows next time. I'm not even touching the center board, the market stalls, because those powers just aren't... If you're trying to optimize and be efficient, those instant and continuous powers just aren't that exciting. I did great with them, Tiff. You completed more market barrows. That's the thing. I know, but I also did the middle board, too. You did two of them. I did three of them, and I completed five barrows, and I got 77 points, and I felt great. Um, <laughs> it's been too long since I played the game to really comment on what you're saying, and I only played it once, and you've played it three times at this point, so I am now more curious to play it again and see if I feel the same way. I felt like, from what I remember anyway, that for the first half of the game, you are building up an engine, and then at a certain point, you do kind of just let it go. But I think I kind of like that rather than the game that ends too soon when you have you, you spend this time building up an engine and then you get to see it play out for like half a round. I don't know. That's just my very terrible memory speaking, though. Maybe I'll get to play it again and I'll be like, you were right. Everyone chat about Lagrange. <laughs> Let's take it to the boards. That will be interesting. Well, hey, any other games that you've been playing, Dan? Maybe something that you're more into that you say, screw Lagrange, I'd rather play this. Recently, I've had a chance to indulge my inner Ameritrash, which is a very small part of me, as you well know. I started up a campaign of Imperial Salt. This is a game I got for Christmas, and I've been really looking forward to play. Um, so I've got, I'm running the dark side, as I should. It's really cool. As you may know, it's a it's a kind of a spin-off of Descent. It uses a lot of the same mechanics of Descent. I personally won't get into how they differ because I didn't play Descent enough to kind of get into that. To be honest with you, Descent just was one of the game I played a couple times, didn't really capture me, and I just kind of moved on from it. But Star Wars will always capture me because it's Star Wars, and it's a theme I really get into. It's a theme I really like. So this is a game I've kind of put my full support into yes it's dice rolling yes it's dudes on a map but i don't know coming you know growing up with hero quest which is probably as i've said probably one of my top five games ever i just that game is so good and just brings back so many fond memories it was nice to get one like an adult version that i can kind of throw myself back into so probably about four or five missions into the I guess it goes anywhere from like 10 to 15 or something like that, depending on how it plays out. But uh, a lot of fun. 
The skirmish mode is good too. Ben and I have been playing the skirmish mode pretty exclusively. Good time. They run tournaments for that, which is kind of weird, but... FFG runs tournaments for everything. Yeah. Yeah, they do. It's it's fun, though. I really like the skirmish mode. We have, I've only played the one mission with you that one time we gave the campaign a shot, but the campaign's fun, too. I have Descent, so I'm still mad that Imperial Assault is the same game, but I, I just play you and Ben's copy, so I guess it's okay. Tiff, don't you love Star Wars? <laughs> Star Wars is overrated. You're going to wait for Star Trek Imperial Assault? Maybe. I could get into that. I just watched Star Wars the other day. Just Which just, one? I don't know. That matters. A New Hope. Oh, okay. Yeah, the first Good one. Good job, Tiff. And that didn't make you want to roll some dice and be a Wookiee? I don't know. It's fine. It's a fine movie. I don't think I have the nostalgia for it that a lot of people have because I didn't watch it when I was really young. The first time I saw Star Wars, I was in high school, which probably explains why I don't, I'm not like, oh, Imperial Assault. I think you have to have that nostalgia for Star Wars in order to get into this. Otherwise, you'd probably just Yeah, I was going to say. It would make more sense to go that way. Well, how about a game that you have been enjoying, Tiff? Anything else on your plate? Um, well, I just wanted to quickly mention I got to play Lift Off, Get Me Off This Planet, which was a Kickstarter game a while back, and it has really cute alien meeples, which is what drew me in. It's light. It's super light. Family, another family-style game that I'm sure my board game club kids will like, but my game group actually took to it pretty well. It's, it went by really quick, but it's worker placement. Basically, you have aliens that are in the middle of this planet that's about to blow up. You have 10 of your own aliens, and then you have these different liftoff points, and there are all kinds of different ones, like a teleporter or a rocket or a stargate that have different requirements um, for you to get your guy on the launch pad, and then the moon has to be in the right spot in order to increase your chances to actually get off the planet, and you, you pay fuel and screws to do those things, and... I don't know. It's fun, and it's kind of just, like, lighthearted and wacky. You kind of just have to... I think one of the tiles we had was a trampoline. Yeah. Just kind of silly. You're trying to get your aliens out of the core of the planet so they can trampoline off before the planet blows up. <laughs> it's just silly. It looks super cutesy. Lift off. Get me out of this game. Oh, stop. I don't think I'll ever get a chance to play it unless somebody else brings it around. I would I would gladly play it, though. It looks funny. Yeah, it's funny. It's humorous. It's kind of beer and pretzels. We played it while we were eating, so it's kind of that game, and, and I could easily see if you had kids, it would be hilarious to them. I'll buy it, so. and I'll wait like 10 years until I have kids the appropriate age. I don't know that like 10 years from now. It's not going to hold up. I don't know. I had fun playing it. it. It sounds like I didn't, but it was it was super cute. And that's like the thing. And there's like this mean alien that you can move around to screw people over. So there's more screwage in it than you might oh, yeah. think from a family weight game. But that's even better because my particular kids that play games with me love that aspect in a game. That's a good piece to add in. It's a good skill for a family to work through. <laughs> It's not like soul crushing screwage, so it's it's a good way to get it in there. If you're if you're working towards those kinds of games, those sort of take that games, it's a good way to put it in. It's there not taking you... my spot in Agricola bad. No, okay, not nearly. Well, cool. But that's about it. No, that sounds cool. Um, so let's go ahead. It sounds like we haven't been playing too too much. Let's go ahead and move right along to some of the games that we want to be playing. So let's do top of the stack for July. Three games. Maybe more, maybe less, uh, that are just on the top of our endless game stacks. What do we want to be playing? Dan, how about I kick it over to you first? Not Liftoff. No, I'm kidding, Tiff. 
It looks cute. I love those little aliens. I do like that, but I just the gameplay just didn't do it for me when I looked at the Kickstarter. You wouldn't like it. It's too much fun. You wouldn't like it. You don't like fun games. I love fun games. Let's see. Top of my stack would probably be Broom Service. Tiff loved it. Other people hated it. After reading the rulebook, I think I'll probably really enjoy it. I like the whole simultaneous pick your card, kind of reveal an order, and then depending on if you pick something that someone else did, it kind of strengthens or weakens the action that you can take which is kind of a cool thing because there's a little bit of bluffing a little bit of a social element to it i really want to play marco polo again i've already played this one twice but it's it's been with the beginner setup both times so i really want to get into the characters that i haven't played i think there's like eight or nine that i haven't even seen and their powers are ridiculous. So looking forward to exploring the different strategies that those guys offer. And the other thing that I want to play would probably be Chaosmos, I think. I'm actually really looking forward to it because it's unlike anything I've ever kind of read about or seen. I've watched a lot of videos on it. I've read the rule book. It's a game where you're trying to be the last person to end up with this card called the Ovoid. But the way you do it is there's planets and each person has like an alien with a special power. Each of these planets has like an envelope associated with it. And you kind of, and within those envelopes, there's cards and you can hide cards in different envelopes on the different planets and you can also secure them by putting like traps in the envelope so the next person who opens it gets hit with that trap and it just sounds like this really interesting social experiment um i love bluffing games and this one seems like it has it in spades so i'm curious about that game i don't know that it would be my style of game but i see it being either amazing or just a complete dud i don't know if there's any in between with that one it's just so out there and different from anything i've seen so I really want to play it. It's getting some good buzz. My top of the stack is almost identical to Dan's. I want to play Broom Service some more to see if I still like it as much as I did at Origins. Um, Marco Polo, I've only played once, so I need to get that out and introduce that to my game group. And oddly enough, I received in the mail from someone anonymous a copy of Spyfall. And I'm kind of curious to play that again with my camp game group. I run a strings camp in the middle of the summer and we play social games, me and the other directors. Since I now have this game in my collection somehow, I would like to see if it works in that scenario because I, you, you'll you never see me play a social game the way I play at camp, which means you'll never see me ever do that because there's like three people that get to see me do that. But. I would not suggest playing Spyfall with just four people though. Well, it's not just four people. There are assistant directors, but I was it was hyperbole. Sorry. I was just kidding, Tiff. It's okay. I was just kidding first. I am a little bit jealous of whoever gets to see you play Spyfall, and I'm sad that it wasn't me. <laughs> I, maybe I'll record it. I'll bring my camera, and it could be... It, we can put a YouTube video of Tiff play Spyfall. <laughs> oh, just on your face, though. Don't even show the rest of the people. Just like a... I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. Put it on a chess cam so we can see your hands shaking as you look at the card. <laughs> uh, fear. Uh, what question. time did you get here? Uh. It, <laughs> well, that's it. I maybe need some tips on playing Spyfall. So weigh in on the guild. How do I play Spyfall? Help me, people. Um, because I'm going to try it. I'm, I have this game now. Whoever sent it to me, thank you, I think. I don't know. Do you have an idea of who sent it to you? I would have thought that it was Dan Patrice because he's been ribbing me nonstop for my quote unquote rage quit at Gen Con. It wasn't a rage quit. 
It was a nervous breakdown quit, and that is different. That wasn't a rage quit. That was a, yeah, I think you pooped yourself. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I didn't poop myself, but yes. I could For the record, she didn't literally poop herself. Can we confirm okay. that? Yeah. I maybe I don't know. <laughs> Why did Dan say yes to that? <laughs> yes, I confirm. Because well, I was sitting next to her, and I was still sitting next to her at the end of the game. So someone would have noticed if that had been the case. But yeah, it was an opened copy, so maybe it was someone who shared my hate for Spyfall and is just passing it along. And maybe I'll just send it <laughs> randomly to someone who hates it too. It's like a cursed copy of Spyfall. Be careful. I mean, it was bagged. Someone played it. Is it going to be like Jumanji? Or are you going to get stuck in the game? Maybe that uh, would be the worst thing ever. I can't imagine anything. I'm worse actually than that. on an airline. Can we talk real quick about how crappy the box of Spyfall is? My God, that mine's like falling apart. Like the out- is it? Yeah, like the corners are like all ripping, and because it's like one of those boxes where they just kind of like layered. A, um, what do you do to your games? Like, I don't do anything to my games. If anything, I take care of my games. Like no other. I did notice that the edge of that sticker on the box is starting to peel up. Yeah, like my my corners are all just like peeling over and stuff. It's weird, and it's cryptozoic. Mine are okay. Mine was sent in the mail, so I just assumed that it got roughed up by my postal carrier who dropped a package of mine in the middle of the street (laughs) the other day, and one of my neighbors brought it to my house. I was like, thanks. Good work, UPS, sir. It makes me really nervous to, like, order expensive things online now. My Cthulhu Wars. I don't know. That would be noticeable. You would hear that drop out of the truck. Did anybody feel that small earthquake? I need to add that to the top of the stack at some point. I just don't know when that's going to be. It will probably crush all the things underneath it. So make sure you make it your third. There's a copy of it at our game store. And I'm like, damn, do I want to pay $200 for Chaos in the Old World Deluxe? Have you seen those It looks real cool. Please don't convince me. Sometimes I just get it out and play with the things. <laughs> I would I'm do that. I'm not going to lie. They'd be I on like, display. I take pictures of them like next to my head. Selfies with me and Cthulhu. What a waste of money. Oh, Dan. <laughs> if I could reach through this microphone. It is. I mean, seriously. Play the game and then we'll talk. Because I bet the game sucks. It's going to be risk-esque and I don't have a problem with that. You're not going to like it. But you like Imperial Assault. If it was Star Wars, you'd like it. You don't it. like a game that is Risk? Seriously? Or you do like a game that is basically Risk? I can play that. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a dice hater. I'm not a randomness hater. That's fine. I just... Uh, okay. Sorry. Dan's backing himself into a corner, though, because even his Euro games now, he's like, there's too much randomness in my Euro games. So he's like... And I get rid of them. <laughs> he's backtracking he's not gonna have many things to play soon maybe it'll turn back around maybe you know maybe this imperial salt is just the tip of the iceberg he's just playing can't stop forever he's just <laughs> i'm all about the randomness i play can't stop on my phone but that's about it because you use your time wisely i play that on my phone a lot too what what's on the top of your stack, uh man? so forbidden stars once again won't talk about it it's a cool game though uh want to play that some more lots to explore there I'd like to get Dreadball back out because I really like Dreadball and there's not enough good sports games out there, especially sports plus minis. And then Marco Polo because that is the one Euro game that I'm really interested in giving a shot because I hear good things and it, it appeals to me. I like Dice's Workers. I like kind of manipulating that and I think that the powers sound interesting. So that's definitely one that I want to get to the table. We almost played it. We were so close. But we played Lagrangio. 
Are you guys bringing games on vacation? You're going on Bringing vacation. many games on vacation, but I don't think we can fit Marco Polo anywhere. Anywho, so that's Top of the Stack for July. I realize that we don't keep tabs on our previous Top of the Stacks. There's no accountability. The segment is worthless. No, I like it. It forces, it really does make me feel guilty if I don't play that game. I played two of them, like LaGrange and Marco Polo, and the only one I haven't played is still Penny Press. Well, Zombie Side was on my list and I traded it, so that's going to get done. <laughs> so. That's, you really failed there. Yeah, smart. Yeah. Very smart. Well, Ben's buying the new one, so don't need it anymore. Kel was like, that was the first game I ever bought you. And I was like, uh-oh, traded the nostalgia factor. <laughs> Whoops. Anywho, let's go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to do another short segment about games that just aren't getting played, like Zombie Side. <laughs> All right, everyone, welcome back. We are going to jump into a brand new segment, and this segment is called Collecting Dust. So sometimes we have games on our shelves that they're not getting played. They don't necessarily need to be traded, but they're not quite making the top of our stack. Maybe they got stuck back there. Maybe we lost them. Maybe we just want to play them, but we can never seem to get them to the table. These are the games that end up with a little layer of dust on the shelf, and we're going to chat about those games, and maybe that'll inspire us to play them. Maybe it won't. I don't know. I'm going to go ahead and kick it off, and one of the games sitting on my shelf, taking up half of a shelf, is my entire collection of Sentinels of the Multiverse and all of its stuff. And I look at the faces go blank of my co-hosts. Uh, this is a card game from Greater Than Games, and it's superhero-based, and it's fully cooperative. You take control of a hero, and you are fighting against a villain at a certain location. It's got, like, crazy replayability because of the different combinations that you can make but it's also notorious for being the definition of the word fiddly in the board gaming world it involves a lot of tokens and a lot of upkeep and a lot of tracking and it just doesn't hit my table as much as i want it to i love all the cards i love the flavor and the theme i enjoy the gameplay yet i have like 20 pounds worth of cards because the boxes are huge and heavy just sitting on my shelf that i never seem to break out and i don't know what it is about it because it's not that hard all you do is pick a hero pick a villain pick a location and you're up and running but for some reason the game just never makes it to the table sounds like it's the fiddliness i don't know if it is or not i think for us it's the fiddle fiddliness the i don't like that word's weird fiddliness combined with the fact that we typically are only playing it two player, maybe three player, and the game shines at like three and four, but that means that you have people running multiple characters, which doubles the fiddliness for each player. I guess it'd be different if we had four or five people that could get together regularly, but if it's just me and Ben or me, Ben and Kel, somebody's running two characters and that's not always fun because like you pick up a hand of cards and you put it down and you pick up another hand of cards and you don't get to focus on just your character and getting into the theme and being who you are. You've got to worry about, okay, what is he allowed to do? What's he allowed to do? Don't mix them up. Don't get them all scrambled. So I think that might be the reason. It's disappointing because I think that if you like that style of game, it's actually a great offering. That is what's collecting dust on my shelf. Dan, what's collecting dust on yours? My number one ranked game, Terra Mystica, has not been played in phew, probably over a year. And it makes me tear up inside. 
I'm I'm a little bit sad. I wish I could say the same about Sentinels, but I don't want to play Sentinels with you. I traded my copy of that. It just it was it was okay for what it was. That game is amazing. There's what in the base game alone, there's like 14 races or whatever it is, and I've only played like three or four of them uh, tops. So I really need to get into. Again, I think the problem with that is that a lot of times when I play it, I play with new players, so the they recommend playing as X, Y, Z. And I think now that I've gotten everyone that would play it with me up to speed, I think we can start opening up some of the more advanced characters and kind of exploring their individuality. Isn't that the trap with some of these games? It's like, I've got to teach this to everyone that I want to play it with before I can move on to the next step of this game. Like I said, Marco Polo, first two times I played it was with the beginner setup, which isn't horrible, but uh, what's the one that I've played? Oh, Elysium. Literally, like I, the first three of my six or seven plays was with the beginner setup. And I was like, I just want to explore some of the other gods. Anyways, Terra Mystica, Collecting Dust, hasn't been played in like a year. But it's easily my favorite game sitting on my shelf. So it makes me very sad. Why are all of our segments about sadness? It's just like, let's talk about the things that we don't play. That seems to be the theme of this episode. It doesn't mean... We don't play games. All right, Tiff, what's collecting dust for you? I am going to say Bora Bora. I love this game. I love it so much. Stefan Feld. I think it's my favorite Feld. It's been a really long time since I played it. I played it when it first came out at CABS, which is the Columbus Area Board Game Society. Uh, that's where I learned it. So I played with different people than I usually play with. And then I played it a couple more times after I got a hold of a copy. It took me a really long time to buy a copy of it because it's a heavier feld. And um, those don't always make it to the table. I only have a couple of friends that are going to be really into heavy euros. And that's pretty much I mean, it's not super heavy, I shouldn't say. Feld in general, it's there's a learning curve because of the point-salidiness of it, so not everybody is able to learn those games really easily. And that's probably why it doesn't make it to the table. <laughs> it seems currently that the board game group I have, we just need to plan better and have days where we play for longer. Our, our game group is currently on a Thursday night. Everybody's coming after work and they have work the next day. So we, we can maybe get two or three shorter games in or one really long game. And I think that the tendency is to go for those shorter games because we want to feel like we actually accomplished something. It'll happen. I, I really want to play it again. It has that nice Aaliyah rule book that you can just jump back into with all the reference. <laughs> right. I love that. That should be in every rule book. The dice in this game are so excellent. Dan, do you like this game? I know you've played it. I love Bora Bora. Bora Bora is my number two felled after the amazing Trajan. Aquasphere? No. Aquasphere is way down. Probably like six. That's bold. That's a bold choice you've made there. It's because he's no good at it. Wow. That has nothing to do with it. This is a very tense podcast today, guys. It's not. I think a lot of people would have taken everything so serious. I'm not taking everything serious. Trajan is the best felt. If you agree with me, comment on the guilds. Bora Bora is the best felt. If you agree with me, comment on the guild. Dan is wrong. Bora Bora is number two. Aquasphere. <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to agree with that one. It's okay. So I think that's that's it, right? We're just talking about one game that's sadly collecting dust that really doesn't deserve to collect dust. No. We should be blowing the dust layer off and breaking it out on our table, giving everyone asthma. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's collecting dust. So we're going to go ahead and take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to have a quick discussion about hype in board games. So let's come on back and we'll chat about that.
All right, everyone, welcome back. We're going to round out the show today with a discussion about hype in board games. Where I wanted to start um, in kind of my talking points and pick my co-host brains about kind of what does hype look like in the board game community? What is it? How does it manifest? Where does it come from? Kind of thing. Just general riff and we'll go from there. So Tiff, what are your thoughts on general hype and how it becomes hype? I think, I mean, it depends on where you're looking for board game news, but obviously board game geek and you're watching that hotness and you're seeing what's on the top there uh, a lot of times i'll just click on those things if i don't know what they are and and so i think that's where the hype starts for me uh either that or twitter especially when a con is happening they'll, they'll be they'll always be a game that catches fire and everybody's talking about it and that'll cause me to look it up so those are the two places where i encounter hype i think that you know my kind of thoughts on it are we as board gamers and i'm speaking in generalizations but just from taking in all the media and talking to people we as board gamers seem to have a very addictive personality very kind of open personality and i think that things like that are easy to capitalize on and what happens is certain things can grow out of proportion at times because people get really excited we we get really excited for new things and for cool things and we just kind of being in this community i think it draws a certain type of people who are good at perpetuating hype uh, and because we're kind of a smaller community, I think that it breeds a lot faster than some other things may. Other things take a while, can take a while to catch or spread, but I think that within the board game community, word spreads quickly and thereby hype spreads quickly. But that's what I, you know, those are kind of my thoughts. Dan, any ideas? Where hype comes from? Yeah, or kind of what it looks like or anything like that. Social media, Yeah, mainly, at least for me. Um, and it's it's funny because you're seeing that I think a lot of publishers are now catching on to how to utilize that hype um, because you'll, you're starting to see more and more publishers hiring specific people just to handle their social media account. So Instagram for photos, Twitter for just a little bit of everything, Facebook for people who like Facebook, all those sorts of things. So I, I think it's kind of interesting to see that publishers are taking note of how things can go like wildfire. Yeah with a hashtag or anything. I think BGG as well, the news and stuff. For me, I get it. Being that I do the news for the site, I get it through press releases, but also Eric Martin is really good about being on top of things and you know that, that community gets buzzed really easily. So. You doing the news, you help perpetuate hype, Dan. The hype comes from you. <sighs> I'm a hype man. I'm like that guy on stage that just goes, yeah, what, what, yeah. That's what you're doing for the board game world. Do you think that like this potential trend in like hiring people, is it, do you think it's more focused on advertising and just trying to get the word about board gaming out there? Or do you think that everyone's looking for the next big thing to catch since it does seem like things catch frequently in our hobby? Probably a little bit of both. I mean, a lot of these publishers are small companies as is. So one to three man shops. So just having them again, recognize the need and the, the willingness of people to want to be marketed to i think is interesting to see because there, there's a i mean the board game community on twitter is pretty strong you know our, our account alone has four thousand followers something like that and that's just from us and we don't even i mean we don't really perpetuate hype we kind of <laughs> i think we try and kind of tone it down by reviewing games and things like that so we're almost the exact opposite but i guess we could drive it as well with a good review 
So I don't know. It's a little bit of everything for me. Um, but I do think, you know, companies are starting to realize that for not a lot of effort, they can get a lot of return. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because I was just reading um, Jamie Stegmeyer's newsletter slash blog that that I've subscribed to and occasionally read. Uh, and he was talking about Scythe and how just one image for that just set the board game community on fire. And he spent literally two days just dealing with the social media and responding to people on the internet about Scythe. And all he did was say, hey, I'm we're, we're in the process of making this game. It's going to launch eventually. Here's a picture. And it went crazy. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> i bit into that hype though because i heard about it and went and looked and i was like what the, this is just a picture and it says there's no dates or anything and i was like crap i thought this was something new i thought i could back this and i fell for it people are so hyped about this game which it's is gonna you know, credit awesome. to him he knows it'll be what it is <laughs> i mean we can talk about overhype so later, but tiff and i'll throw it out to dan too but i'm gonna start with tiff do you, just a, a subset of this, do you think that we as a community are in a constant state of hype? Do you think that there is always something to be hyped about? Yeah, it seems that way. I mean, that's how I have a collection that has 600 games in it. I, I get excited when I hear that my friends are excited about a game and I go out and buy it based on their recommendations. And as you said, in a small community, all of that can go pretty quickly and obviously has for me in the last three years. Yeah. So I'm just thinking about like one day this game's good, three weeks later, it's a new game. And what happened to that old game? It was so exciting for a week. I was just going to say, I'm, I was thinking about some games that were just like the bee's knees there for a while, and then just that no one's really talking about them that much anymore. And one of the games that comes to mind is Mysterium. Oh, uh, yep. That was going to be... That game gets stale, though, I think. It's one of those games that I think is great, and everyone's talking about it. But as you play it more and more, the kind of allure and the, the Mysterium of it <laughs> kind of just... It just fades a bit. I know I have a copy of it and I like pulling it out, but I think I'm at that point where I need to pull it out with new people to enjoy it, to kind of see their reaction because playing over and over with the same people leads to kind of a rut in a way. And I think we can maybe get into it a little bit later, but I think that's where kind of replayability in games kind of falls and why that is such a quote hot word when it comes to hype and good reviews and things like that. Yeah. And Tiff, I think that that was the prime example of a game that, in my opinion, when I thought about hype and just like recent hype, that game is already played out and it's not even released yet. <laughs> yeah. And nobody like it, it'll probably pick up steam again at Gen Con when it comes out. Oh, it will. The new art looks good. It's the last three, four months. It's like what? No one's playing Mysterium anymore. Anybody who is is late to the party. And it's it's still a good game and i'm not saying it's a bad thing to be late to the party but like the hype has come and gone and the game's not even here yet i will say this so in in our community and when we talk about our friends most of them are involved in the board game industry in some way so i think we are friends with a lot of early adopters people that that buy games first and and create that hype i think we're part of the problem because there, we were just talking about this on, I think it was the last episode, where there are people that just play Catan and don't know there are, like, there are a million people that consider themselves board gamers that have no idea that Mysterium is a thing, was a thing, is going to be a thing, um, because they're just not, they're not on Board Game Geek every day. There are plenty of people out there that don't 
that are unaware of the hype, but I think the community that we're involved in is just very on top of the news because we are content creators. No, I, I agree with that. And that's, that's an interesting point. Let's kind of, we'll move a little bit forward into what are like the pros and cons of hype as a board gamer. So obviously the pros of hype is that people sell lots of games and that's great. And and maybe we can riff on that a little bit, but I'm thinking like as a consumer, as a writer, as a gamer, there's some good things that come from hype, but there's also some scary things that come with hype like Tiff's giant board game collection. So <laughs> what are the what are the the pros and cons like what do you when you look at hype dan what do you think about it um one con could be bankruptcy <laughs> personal uh, bankruptcy <laughs> <laughs> gotta buy it gotta buy it gotta buy it i guess the pros i'll speak specifically like kickstarter a lot of these games if they're not you know word of mouth doesn't spread if there's no nothing good to say about the game they might not be made. So a lot of times a good idea could go by the wayside because there just wasn't enough hype. And that kind of just, we've had this discussion before. We had it last episode um, in the news kind of thing. So that's that's one thing. I think another good thing that hype does is it, it brings about awareness. So that kind of links to my first point. So just knowing, I mean, there's a lot of games, even me as, as kind of involved as I get myself into the news, whether bad or good, there's some things that I just miss. They, I can't keep track of everything on Twitter and BGG and just a day job and all this stuff. So I think hype kind of puts it in front of people a little bit. Those would be the two big things. Cons, you just can't play all of these games. And this is where, again, content creators, reviewers, etc., come into play because they can help you kind of sift through the hype and get to the kind of real again meat and potatoes of what you're looking for in a game the mechanics the theme the feel the look so yeah so yeah big con would be that as well as it's just expensive to play board games at times so <laughs> it's getting more and more inexpensive too yeah it's expensive to stay with the hype and and yes i have a big board game collection but i plan believe me there's a budget spreadsheet and i'm within it you can bank on that folks i work very hard to afford my giant board game collection uh, and, and you shouldn't buy games you can't afford. So disclaimer out there for all you listeners. Uh, but outside of that, I think hype can cause burnout. I think by trying to keep up with all of this news and I mean, look at how many games are coming out. You know, the, the Gen Con preview just got put up and I was like, oh, only eight pages <laughs> to start with. Like eight pages of games. And by the time we get to the con, it'll have at least tripled. And that is just a ton of games. So, and, and the Essen preview is even bigger than that. So we've got all these games coming out every year and it is literally impossible to keep up with it. And there are some days that I'm like, I don't even want to look. Yeah, I said that to you this week, Tiff. I was like, I can't, like Twitter, I just couldn't keep up. There were so many new releases and new announcements. And I was like... I quit. I had to like log off of Twitter. I was like, I just can't deal with it. It's just overwhelming to try and keep up with everything at times. At the end of the day, it's a hobby. So you got to kind of limit yourself. Yeah. And I'll, I'll take those ideas and kind of point to two different things. So the first is, I think that it can be scary and overwhelming and at times make you feel disconnected from a pretty connected community. Because when everyone else is talking about a game or something gets hyped and the news travels and you miss it, or you're not on the cutting edge with it, at least for me, I feel like great, I gotta like sit on the back burner until this passes and a new game comes out. Like when Mysterium came out or it's always BGG Con, whatever game will be hot at BGG Con, I will have no access to. And I'll have to be like, oh, that looks fun, but I guess I'll play it in a year when it comes out for real. Um, like Roll for the Galaxy took like six months or like Spyfall or, or whatever. So it can make you feel kind of disconnected. 
And at the same time, I'll point to, so we as content creators, as Chris Kirkman would say, a little inside baseball, how does the hype make our job kind of difficult, especially as reviewers and news posters? I mean, you alluded to it a little bit, just trying to keep up, but how do we handle that as content creators? Yeah, my my biggest pet peeve with this, because it's a lot of work and we get paid mm, roughly zero, I think, last time I checked. That's rounded up, I think. We get paid in love, Dan. My biggest pet peeve and something I, I really hate about, and it's, I don't hate, that's a strong word, but something I dislike about the hobby is everyone's kind of trying to scoop. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I got this game. Let me review it first. Or, oh, I got this game. We talked about it first on our podcast. It's like, who cares? Like, everyone's going to have access to that game. It's kind of like, I don't know that I agree with Tom Vassell probably 98% of the time, but one thing he'll always say is, if a good game that I've played is good, it will come out in the US and people will have access to it somehow. And I that's kind of kind of the mentality I've kind of tried to adopt with my purchases is that I don't need to rush over to Europe and get everything. I do every once in a while. I do buy into some hype and we'll talk about that with the next little piece. But as I start to see my collection grow and grow and I start to see the games get played less and less, I it's you gotta filter it. And as a content creator, it's like the pressure to review the hotness and keep on top of the hotness and just because, you know, for us, and we've had this discussion internally, like, I love Terra Mystica, and I haven't written a review about Terra Mystica, but if I write a review about Terra Mystica, is anyone going to care? Or is it just going to kind of go out into the void that is the internet and sit there? Maybe it'll get a few hundred hits, maybe it won't, but people aren't really interested in that. So there, there's that fine balance of playing new games and still keeping up to review new games so people are interested in the content you're created. Because, you know, if you're not driving content and you're not on top of your game, publishers don't really care about you. So that it, for us, it's a fine line to walk. I think that's why you see, uh, you know, the amount of podcasts that get started and then the pod fading and then people that have blogs and then those kind of go away or are intermittent. And I'm guilty of that, too, is like you just have a real life and new games can't always be the priority. Now, I love playing new games. That's why I that's why being a content creator fits me. And I've kind of just accepted the fact that I'm not the kind of person that's going to play a game 20 times. That's not me. And, and it probably never was going to be me in the first place. I'm always looking for the new and shiny. And I always was from the start. So and that was before I even considered writing or podcasting or anything like that. So you kind of just have to look at it from what kind of gamer are you going to be and accept that which whatever kind of gamer you are, just accept it and go with it. It's okay to be a hype chaser, and it's okay yeah. to not be a hype chaser. If you can afford it, it's perfectly okay to be a hype It's chaser. okay to That's put games I mean. that you already own on the top of your stack, right, Tiff? It's okay. It is. I'll still make fun <laughs> of you for it, but... <laughs> what the people listen for but well <laughs> for you making fun of me yeah i know well let's go ahead and kind of get to the next piece and and you know kind of wrap this this little mini discussion up so let's talk about us a little bit more let's talk about do we buy into the hype so you know what i'll just i'll just put it out right on the plate yes or no dan do you buy into hype don't yes or no that's your only options ever 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 do you ever buy into hype i have Okay, so that's a yes. How can that's a yes? Tiff, do you ever buy into hype? Absolutely. All the time. Okay, and I also buy into hype as well. So I just wanted to, to put us on the same footing. Yes, we all buy into hype. What do we do to try to fight that sometimes, though? Do we try to fight it? Is it worth it, Dan? Put in the work ahead of time. 
do the research, look at reviews, read rule books. Uh, that's something I've really started to do a lot lately that I didn't do before was actually like read the rule book of the game before I buy it to see if I'm like a lot of times a rule book will capture me and I'll know right away if I'm going to like it or not. And so that's something I've tried to do more and more. Obviously, I can't do it with everyone because there's a lot of games and a lot of rule books and they're not short, some of them. But I think just doing the homework ahead of time, as well as like Tiff said, just keeping a budget of some sort. So I know I can do this, this and this kind of thing. And I keep up with the hype, but I don't know that I, I'm physically buying into it as much as I used to. I'm, I'm really kind of limiting myself. Once you play board games for a while, you start to realize what you're into and what you're not. I think most people fall into a category, and to go outside of that is good. I, th I think you should explore. But if you know you hate dice games, you should just stop buying dice games. Just don't do that, because you're going to be disappointed every time. I did. Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I stopped. It's ridiculous. Dan is the best hype fighter among us, I think. Dan is anti-hype. He is the anti-hype. I try to just keep everyone grounded. You know, that's what I do. The best way to fight hype is to hate. I need a foil, so that's that's fine. A, a budget will definitely tamp down your your hype machine for sure. If you're looking at your bank account, it's it's really easy to lose your passion for Mysterium. If you have no money in the bank. It's easy to lose your passion for Mysterium if you realize you're going to lose your house. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, after this last con, decided that I'm going to go on the one-in-one-out system. Really? So Yeah, well, that's why I put up so many uh, board games for sale after Origins. I put up 20 for sale, and I, I bought 15. Uh, so I have a whole bunch that are down in my crawl space of shame. That are that are ready to be sold. Check out my uh, listings on the marketplace. So, so that's w one way is to okay. I know I'm going to buy into the hype, but let's get rid of some of the old hype. Is this game worth me getting rid of? One of the things on my shelf. Which thing am I going to get rid of to buy this game? And that makes it a little bit harder because you got to choose between two of your babies. Self awareness is key. Uh, one of the things that I do is I go window shopping. So I do my best to fight and wait till it hits the store and then I'll go to the game store and whenever you turn over the box and look at the price tag of the game store it's a lot less enticing than on cool stuff so <laughs> you're like oh damn it this is 59.99 and I put it back and then I feel like okay I touched it I had looked at it the hype was in my hands and now I can move on with life at times and if I still want to buy a game at that point like if I if I pick up a game and I'm interested at it at full price I'll go, I'll go home and buy it on cool stuff. It's kind of like that budgetary thing, but I need like a behavior strategy because I'll fill a cart sometimes and then I'll close the browser real quick before I order. But just it feels like I did something. I don't know. I just sometimes I, I get that. caught up. I'm like, yeah, I'll buy every Sentinels of the Multiverse expansion. That's fine. Maybe I've done that. I don't know. <laughs> um, no, I, I actually I know exactly what you're saying because I do the same thing. Like on cool stuff, I have my little save for later. So if something is really like just top of the hotness, everybody's talking about it, I can't get it on my brain, I've, I've watched videos, I'm checking all the, I read so many comments on BoardGameGeek, we should do a segment about what people say in the comments on BoardGameGeek. It is hilarious. Anyway, thank you, uh, people that make those comments that make me smile. But um, so I'll, I'll start that cart and I'll say, okay, if I still feel this way in a month, I keep doing that with Twin Tin Bots. That I have wanted since it hit Kickstarter. I'm like, I love robots. I love program movement, but I have Robo Rally. I don't 
need this game, and so I didn't back in Kickstarter. Then when it came out, it was too expensive, and then it got cheaper, and now Yellow put it out. And I'm checking on Twitter to see who who of my followers have played it, and then someone was like, it was Matt Wolf. He was like, it's not good. I traded it with Gusto. And I was like, okay. So I took it out of my cart because it's been in there for months and, and I know that I don't need it because nothing has enticed me to pull that trigger. So if you can just put it in your cart, it makes you feel like, yeah, I'm interested enough to put this in my cart. And you do feel like you did something with that <laughs> game. You, you interacted with the game, but you didn't spend money on it. And that's why I played Master Fox and like I played the yellow games at the con because I was like, oh, it's got a toy gun and it's got this and that. And I was like, wait, let me play this and get this fever out of me. And I'll realize that I do not need this game at all. Demos are great for that. I mean, I don't like demos, but if you feel like you need to get that out of you, that's a good way to do it. Go to a con and demo everything. Go play the hot game and you'll be like, oh. This is okay. Yeah, I'll wait. I channel my inner Dan. That's how I fight the hype. Uh, Exercise the hype, Matthew. <laughs> is that what you sound like inside Matt's head? Yeah, I have like a little Dan devil and a little Dan angel. Mine all sound like this. That game sucks. The, the angel and the devil. What do you think, angel? Sucks. How about you, devil? Sucks. Actually, to all of our listeners, if you contact Dan about a game, he will put you in place. He'll tell you the truth. Dan, I'm thinking about buying this game, and he'll be he'll give it to you. He'll tell you whether or not you need that game. It's important to have a friend that has similar tastes as you and make them buy the games that you're curious about. That's that's another strategy that I employ. And, and my friends that I have buy those games, you know who you are, and I, I appreciate that. Well, I'm going to say it a little bit less maliciously sounding. So having a group of friends who can share in buying the hype is another good strategy. Like, oh, Dan bought Marco Polo? Cool, I don't have to buy Marco Polo. And th having a game group to share with is a nice thing. Now, I have like a Machiavellian thing going on with my... <laughs> <laughs> you buy, the buy this game? You want to buy this game? All right, well, let's round it out with talking about uh some of those guilty times and we gave in wait can we hype. talk real quick about how tiff convinced someone to buy freedom the underground railroad because i don't i don't see a selling point there you know you want to move slaves to the north you know you want to do it like how do you sell that? it's very heroic right and hopeful skills i was just like i just love how they incorporated the history into this game and if you buy it at the con you get a little mini lantern start player token come on Tiff is like a board game siren. She lures you towards the rocks. It's dangerous. <laughs> but you know what? We played that game two weekends ago, and it was great. I, I think my friend who bought who I talked into buying that game because I just couldn't spend the money on it uh, enjoyed it, and he felt like his purchase was worth the money, and, and we will all play that game together now. I distinctly remember walking up and saying, hey, Tiff, what's going on? You said I just convinced my friend to buy Freedom of the Underground <laughs> and I was like, oh. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I This is something that I do frequently. But here's the thing. There's a trade-off because I have 600 games downstairs. Come on. You guys can play one of my games if you buy this new game. I'm pulling my weight, I think. Yeah, I think you're doing your, your trick. All right, so what are some of those times when we have given into the hype? And I don't want anyone to think that giving into the hype is a bad way. But like one of the times that sticks out in your mind of like, wow, I really just bought that game because everyone else was playing it and loving it and buying it. And it can end good or bad. It can be a positive or negative story. But just, you know, what what makes you give into the hype? Um, well, I can think of like a bajillion examples, but I guess I'll I'll talk about the most recent example. And that's probably Dark Moon. 
Um, <laughs> yes, let's talk about Dark Moon. <laughs> Dark Moon, I have a copy of BSG Express by Print Play Productions, and I like that game. And I was excited to see that Stronghold Games picked it up and were developing it further and adding artwork and making it a little bit fancier, and, and that's awesome. So I followed that all the way from that, all the way through the development process until they released it here at Origins, and I felt compelled to buy it. Now, a lot of people were excited about it. Um, and component issues aside, I was I was just like, I opened it up and I had all this like weird excitement about it, and I was like, I could have just been fine with my BSG Express copy, and I should have just stuck with that, and I regretted it the instant I opened the box. I was like, yep, I'm going to trade this. Can you think of one game where the hype was right about? Well, why don't you talk to Dan about one game where the hype was wrong, and then I'll come up with one where the hype was right. All right, Dan, let's talk about your follies. You have had to have bought a game. I mean, you talked about one today on this podcast. Um. Yeah, Imperial Assault. It's Descent, Dan. That's not overhyped. It's overhyped because it's Star Wars. Bam. It sold like 100,000 copies. <laughs> because it's overhyped. It's a good game. I don't know how it compares to Descent. It's a good game. It's not a new game or a different game. For me, it's a new game because I don't have Descent. So You've played it, though. I have. and I didn't mean to get you guys into a tangent. No, it's fine. Um, overhyped game that I bought and immediately gave away as a giveaway is Dead of Winter. You guys know my feelings. Oh, how did I know it was going to circle back to Dead of Winter? Can you believe I went through this whole conversation and didn't think that Dan would talk about Dead of Winter? You mean Dice Tower Game of the Year, Dead of Winter? You mean Dan Halstead's <laughs> overhyped game of the century? Wow. Um, <laughs> Um, century everybody yeah the century uh dead of winter most recently i think elysium would probably fall into that bucket for me i would agree with that um i demoed it at the game store during the pre-release and i played it and i wasn't sold on it but everyone else at the table really loved it and they got to talking about it, and i was like i see the merit in that and i kind of offered some counterpoints but i wanted to explore it further so i picked up a copy at full retail and now i'm looking to get rid of it it just it hasn't held up and it's just one of those games that is and asmodee's great at this and they're the, the kings of hype because all their games look amazing the components are amazing and then you play the game and it's like eh, not all of them are good most of them are don't get me wrong i love asmodee but elysium's definitely one that i kind of regretted after the fact you just touch on something that made me think um, artwork can really drive hype. Like we see that in Kickstarters all the time is if you have good enough artwork, that is enough to get people just super riled up about a game and know nothing about it. Essentially, uh, it can be deceiving if the artwork is really good looking or just, you know, along the right theme. Yeah, it's surprising how much that visual element comes into play because I've got games that I like looking at more than I like playing yeah nine times out of ten if i buy into the hype um there are some exceptions but it's usually because the artwork is really good or the theme is really quirky so now you know how to market to me i thought of a game where the hype paid off and that is roll for the galaxy dan will disagree with me because he, he's dan counterpoint halstad it's but... better than nations the dice game okay fine i'll give you that <laughs> Thanks, Dan. <laughs> Thank you for making that consolation. Roll for the Galaxy is a good game. It's just not just not something that really blows my whistle. That is a term that should be used more. We're going to add that to the t-shirt list. Oh, yeah. I should write those down. Stick it on your shelf. But yeah, 
Roll for the Galaxy is good. Um, I I was worried about it because I liked Race for the Galaxy, but it it's the dice version, so it's kind of simplifies a little bit. But I had heard that the iconography was still there, and I was wary of it. But I just pulled the trigger just randomly one day because I was in the game store and I was there was some money burning a hole in my pocket, and I bought it, and I did not regret it because I played it like. 15 times in two weeks or something ridiculous. I would agree. That's probably the one that I went on a big whim and didn't know very much about the game and was very pleasantly surprised. And everyone who talks it up, I think that it's pretty valid, pretty valid to varying degrees. But um, one of the games that I'm happy that I have, I got it as a gift, but I think was overhyped would be XCOM. Uh, I think XCOM got a little... Yes. Thank you, Dan. When Dan and I agree, you know, it's legit. Uh, I'm so mad you said that because that would have taken over for Dead of Winter. Really? Really? I think I think XCOM is interesting. I like XCOM. It is kind of my style of game. I think that it introduces the app uh, effectively. I just don't know why everyone loved it so much. I don't know. Like, I don't I don't dislike the game. I think it's a fine game. But I think that it, whoa, the talk of the town, it was a little unjustified. Once again, I'm glad that I have it and I got it as a gift. I wouldn't, if I had played it, I would not have bought it. I would not pay $50, $60 for it. I'm more than happy to have it and play it for free, though. I traded mine immediately. I was so disappointed with that game. It was just hype, hype, hype. And for me, it had the nostalgic factor with the XCOM because that's one of my favorite video games. I love XCOM from back in the day and I love everything about XCOM. So I was so excited for this. The app seemed cool, but man, that game just put me to sleep. It just wasn't. I don't know if that's the right term. That game is so hectic. (laughs) You slept during XCOM? I don't know. It just, it wasn't everything everyone had said it would be. And I'm really upset that I bought it, but I was so happy that I traded it. The first it. phase was everything that everyone said it would be. The second resolution phase is like, what is in the world is going on here? This is just a die roll every time. I'm okay with it, like I said, but like, I don't, I'm very surprised that the community at large was so excited about it. There are better co-ops. Yeah. Does anybody have any other thoughts or points that they want to make briefly on kind of hype? It almost feels like we should have a part two because I feel like there's lots of things that we talked about briefly in discussion that we didn't get to hear. But anything to piggyback off of what we've already said? If we're going to talk about this again, maybe not. But uh, we've brought up nostalgia a couple of times today and how nostalgia and familiarity in a game can really drive the hype for that. There's definitely something to it. You also said art, which is cool. And I know the... The Geek All-Stars did a conversation on how the look of a game can kind of influence people's perception of it. So, for instance, Splendor, me, overhyped game. But those chips, everyone loves those chips. And it's like, if you took those chips out of that game, would people still like it? Another example for me being Euphoria. I think Euphoria, if Euphoria didn't have all those crazy bits, would people really kind of enjoy it as much as they do? I don't know. It's just one of those kind of art and kind of cool little things within the game really can just overshadow the gameplay itself. I think when it gets down to it, that's what you really are interested in. I mean, at least I am, is how the game plays, not how it looks. Even though making it look and making it play well is like amazing. So it's one of those things. I'm just interested in what everyone else thinks about the game, and I'll buy it based on that. 
I'm just kidding. Anyway. Well, I was going to say, how many positive opinions do you need? Like, are there people whose opinion that you trust over everybody else's? Like, when it comes to buying into the hype or not buying into the hype, if, if one person you know is like, this game sucks, you wouldn't buy it or something like that. Do you have someone like that? Dan, the there is truth to if... Depending on the game, if Dan likes it, there's something to be said about it. Dan's got a good eye for Euro games, so if he picks a Euro game and he likes a Euro game, I know that it's probably going to be an interesting Euro game. If he happens to like an Ameritrash game, I've got to take a real hard look at said Ameritrash game because there might be like gold bars inside the box or something like that. If Dan doesn't like an Ameritrash game, I don't listen to him at all, though. But Dan is probably one of my closest confidants in terms of trusting his opinion. Ben likes everything like I like everything, so he's we're not a good match for like picking games out because he'll be like that sounds cool and i'll say that sounds cool and then we'll have all these crappy games on our shelves because i don't know i dan as much as we tease him about being negative is truly discerning at times and i can trust that like 33 percent of the time so it's it's good yeah for sure if i'm trying to talk myself out of buying a game i'll definitely talk to dan about it but you need that you need to be able to talk yourself out of buying a game thanks guys it's been great. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, I can't think of a game that you have recommended that I haven't enjoyed. So I will say that's probably true for me too. Aw. So we love Dan. That's the moral of this hype discussion somehow. Now, Dan is going to say that he also loves Dan because he only listens to his own brain. I listen to that little guy on my shoulders like, that game sucks. No, there are some... I don't know. I, I used to have some reviewers that I really trusted. And as of late, their opinions have just gone so out to left field with what I agree with that I just don't have anyone that I really, I, I just read a lot and I kind of pick out points. And I think any reviewer worth their salt will pick out some of the points that I'm looking for. And if I see trends over, regardless of whether I agree with their opinions or not, because at the end of the day, a lot of these people are getting these copies for free and stuff like that. So you got to take everything with a grain of salt to begin with. But the thing for me is, again, just piecing together the research and doing everything up front now. I do listen to you guys a lot, especially Tiff on the hipster front. Matt, if there's a dice game, I know I probably won't buy it, but I'll, I'll usually play it. <laughs> uh, well, you know, we, we talked about reviewers uh, a long while back, and I, I am less and less relying on the opinions of reviewers. I still watch videos and read reviews, but it's more of a conglomeration kind of a thing. Like, if if these three people all like it, then, like, if it's the magical Matt and Dan agree on something thing, then, yeah, I'll probably buy that game. That seems legit. That game is, like, the holy grail. That game may, I don't know, it may cure cancer, that game. It's just, it's borderline cancer curing. I think that's uh, that sounds like the best way to end the show. I don't know. I Yeah, we can wrap it up there. I think that what I would like if listeners are willing to indulge us is to reach out to us on bgg twitter whatever i think there's a lot to be mined in this topic and we kind of touched on different things that the board we were just riffing for a while so let us know your thoughts or what you'd like to hear us kind of spitball on some more we'd love to kind of take that 
input and maybe spit out another discussion if this was interesting um, and kind of take it where you guys want to take it because these were just some of the original thoughts that we had. If you want to reach out to us, you can go on Facebook and search for the League of Nonsensical Gamers. You can reach out to us on the BGG Guild, number 2077, start up a topic or join in one of the ones that we start up. You can shoot us an email at podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com or you can chat with us on Twitter by reaching out to us on our handles. Dan, if they want to find you. At League Nonsense or at Scandalous underscore Nad if you want to get a little bit personal. Ladies. <laughs> Tiff? I am at Inept Gamer. And I am at Cinnamon Buns spelled phonetically. Um, and guys, just as a last minute, if you enjoy the show, if you like us, go ahead and rate us on iTunes. We would love that. Or give us a like on uh, board game links. So that is episode 25. We will see you in two weeks for episode 26. We will be skipping broadcast news next week because Dan and I will be up in Alaska fighting bears and playing games. It's been a pleasure. Everyone can say goodbye. Bye. Toodles. Bye. Bye.